In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Apostle St. Peter charges us today, on this third Sunday of Easter, be subject to every human creature for God's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as sent through him for the vengeance of evildoers and for the praise of the good. For such is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Live as free men, yet not using your freedom as a cloak for malice, but as servants of God. Perhaps you might suppose, my dear children, that after quoting these inspired words, I intend to give you a reminder of your duties of submission and obedience. Rather, I wish to begin by stating what I already know about you. You have been patient and submissive out of a genuine spirit of obedience and a deep concern for your fellow man. I hope this is a lesson we will all take out of this crisis and this terrible sacrifice that we must all perform. Surely, when the day comes that we return to our beloved church, we will have a deeper concern for our fellow attendees in the pew, not only out of concern for one particular virus, but of any ailment, for those who come here disabled and need a helping hand, need others to think of them first before swiftly pushing past. And yes, to be considerate of others when we ourselves have a contagious ailment and know that the prudent thing is to stay home. This is nothing new, but it is worth recalling after this crisis. As the lockdown and prohibition of all public worship has worn on, you have humbly conceded that the experts know more about this illness than you do, and that you must follow their call to trust the science and obey. Yes, this, even though we can be somewhat astonished at how little some of these preventative measures seem to correspond to the description of this disease by the highest epidemiologist in the land, who, writing in the, in the New England Journal of Medicine over a month ago, suggested that the clinical consequences of this virus may be, he says, akin to those of a seasonal influenza. In the spiritual plane, you have humbly accepted the reminder 
that the most august and supreme sacrifice of the Mass does not require the presence of you, the laity, in order to achieve perfectly its four ends of adoration, thanksgiving, propitiation, and petition. You do not come here Sunday after Sunday simply to get communion. When you receive our Lord in his most sacred body, it is part of practicing the virtue of religion, rendering God what is due him in justice. Whenever you are impeded from attending Holy Mass by sickness, inclement weather, home emergency, necessary work, or a public health crisis, you may still practice the virtue of religion by uniting yourself with the Holy Sacrifice by your prayers and spiritual communion. The original expectation was that on this first Sunday of May, we would all be gathering together once more in our beloved St. Mary's. Of course, this is not the case. And so I think this is cause for reflection on the situation. It is important to remember that the church hierarchy throughout the world dispensed the faithful from the positive obligation of attending Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. This is one of the commandments of the church. The church imposed this obligation and does have the power to lift it for a time if there is a just cause. You must understand, however, that the hierarchy did not, and indeed could not, never could, abolish or suppress the third commandment. The third commandment is given to us directly by God. The church safeguards the commandments of God and the entire deposit of revelation. She can never tamper with them. Nor, in the midst of a crisis, can any member of the hierarchy tamper with the theology of the church, suggesting in any way that during this time when the reception of the sacraments is supposedly impossible, our theology must be changed to understand that we may be united with God without the sacraments, and that they, God forbid, the thought even, are perhaps not necessary for salvation. None of this could ever occur, for the third commandment cannot be abolished. We are all solemnly charged to keep holy the Lord's day. The sacraments are and shall be until the end of time a necessary means of salvation. It is true, the Council of Trent teaches, that we can achieve the grace of justification already by the desire to receive the sacraments. But this in no way supposes that the sacraments could ever be indefinitely suppressed such that the faithful could no longer receive them and that the church could go on, perhaps even to the end of time, 
in the state of affairs. The Apostle tells us today, live as free men, not using your freedom as a cloak for malice, but as servants of God. During this crisis, we Catholics have refrained from insisting on our own rights in view of what we have been told is the common good. For as we are told today, we must submit to legitimate authority, for such is the will of God that by doing good, we should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. But after many weeks of the suppression of true public worship throughout most of the world, for the first time in the Church's 2,000-year history, it is not wrong for any of us to be concerned about the rights of God. The liturgy is inherently public. The public celebration of Mass, the divine office, processions, All this is for our sanctification, yes, but it is, first and foremost, what is due to God in justice. I'm not going to spend any time today speaking about the restrictions of other liberties during this crisis. Several sermons could be preached upon that. The fact that churches are closed while supermarkets are open and far worse, abortion clinics. The people are deprived of their right to work. And the legitimate fear among many that some of this power grab is an excuse for creeping socialism. But enough of that for now. Let us consider another time in the sacred history when such a thing occurred. When Moses led the Hebrew people out of Egypt, he was first charged to go and tell Pharaoh to let the Lord's people go. What reasons could have been given? Knowing that sacred history, we could think of several, all of which correspond to sins that cry out to heaven for vengeance, as they do in our time. Let my people go, for they shall endure your oppression no longer. Let my people go, for they shall no longer be defrauded of their wages. Let my people go, for they shall no longer live amidst the unspeakable vices of your people. Let my people go, For no longer shall you slay their children. These reasons were not given, however. Moses was charged by the Lord to go to to Pharaoh and say, Let my people go, that they may go forth three days' journey and sacrifice to me in the desert. Yes, this is a reminder of the true definition of freedom of religion. Freedom of religion, as Catholics have always understood it, is not the ability of man 
which is innate to him as a rational creature, to think and believe whatever he may choose. No freedom of religion is God's right to be worshipped in the manner he has ordained. True liberty is our capacity to love, our capacity to choose the good. And so, as Catholics, we may rightly demand, as this crisis drags on, we desire the good of our fellow men. We desire good to all, to the innocent, to those being killed in the abortion mills, yes, to those dying alone and without comfort in hospitals and nursing homes, to those afflicted with any diseases, to those struggling with depression and thoughts of suicide after loss of livelihood, to those suffering from domestic violence during this time. Yes, we desire good, love, and mercy toward all men. So give us back our capacity to exercise our freedom, our ability to choose the good, to love God. Yes, give us back our true freedom as children of God, for this is the one grace necessary in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.